Hi, I'm Andrew Arkey, CEO and co-founder of Open Orchard, and this is the Open Orchard Podcast. What follows is an episode of our Open Source Entrepreneurship Series, where we interview people who have interesting insights into entrepreneurship generally, or in the open source space specifically. I'm here with Dan Hensley, one of the co-founders of 3Speak. Hey, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So the name of this podcast is Open Source Entrepreneurship, and that is intentionally kind of vague. Uh, It can mean that we want to discuss building a business on top of open source software, or it can mean that we want to democratize entrepreneurial knowledge. Um, which, right. So it's, it's not, you can interpret it as being all about open source software, um, or not, or, or educating people about entrepreneurship specifically in the technology space. So which one of those interpretations resonates more deeply with you and why? I would go from the investor point of view. Uh, I'm stuck on both sides because I really like what open source brings moving from a centralized closed source web to environment to where everything is open source. IP is becoming less valuable dollar wise, but more valuable and, you know, for the community, for the world, the software we're building is better than, you know, what any web two company could build. So that fascinates me, but also from an investor's point of view, um, I love the volatility. I love the opportunity that this brings because I think, you know, once every 10 years you get an opportunity. Um, and I believe, you know, I'm very excited that this could be something like that opportunity. So it, it really hits home for all around for me. Very cool. One of the reasons I wanted, it's interesting that you bring up being an investor and coming at it from an investor angle. Um, because one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is specifically because you're not a developer. Um, could you tell us about your background and how you got involved in the blockchain space specifically? Yes, I'm a ex-professional poker player. I still play for fun. Um, that sort of got me the mindset for investing, um, controlling your emotions, knowing how to grind it out and be patient. Um, from there, I really got into social media, um, started sharing my story. Um, I got onto things like Quora and YouTube. I created a crypto YouTube. I was a crypto YouTuber for a little while. And really what got me into it was poker. I got sent Bitcoin, used it on a poker site. And then I started to realize, well, hey, you know, I'm like my own bank. That was really quick. That was really easy. There was no middle person. So then I jumped down the rabbit hole, um, you know, quickly found things like Steam back in the day, now Hive. And it's just really fascinating because for the first time ever, I feel like almost like an adult on the internet. It's like I have stake in a, in a open source protocol that no one can really censor me or tell me what to do. And that's always felt empowering, especially growing up, you know, especially for our age, we got to see the web crawl from a baby to what it is now. You know, remember when YouTube was fun and, you you know, censorship free and now you can't, you know, disagree with the wrong person. You get wiped off the face of the Internet. So it's just very intriguing. Yeah, it's it's funny how many people in blockchain and, and Steam now Hive specifically have a background in poker. Uh, I have a background in poker as well. And when I go and play poker now. I think 
you guys, you guys don't know games. <laughs> you get into the blockchain space and poker all of a sudden gets a lot less interesting. You know, it's like we've merged poker and application development, participating in applications. We've, it's this crazy thing where you're playing the game of life somehow. And it's so much more rich than a game like poker like hive is like if you combine facebook and poker uh, and mm-hmm. it's very exhilarating and uh, i think people still don't understand uh, the the value that can be gained from tokenizing a platform and specifically using a crowdsourced token distribution model like like have Hive has um, yeah, it raises the stakes that's that's what i can always say it feels like it's a real high stakes game now right right uh, and that comes down, it com- comes back to being a stakeholder in the technology as, as you, uh, as you stated. Um, so you made the jump from being a poker player to being an investor and now to being the co-founder of an application, um, of a business, which makes you an entrepreneur. So why the leap? Why the leap to actually co-founding a business instead of just gambling on them, which is what an investor does. And I mean that in a good way. I do. I, I consider myself an investor. Um, to be honest, it would have been much fun, like much easier just to stay on the investor point of view. It's much easier to play the poker game, not run the poker game. So being a co-founder really comes with a lot of responsibilities. I've run businesses in the past, um, not one as you know public and well-known as three speak, how much momentum we're having. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. It's almost like having a, a, a living human that you have to look after for, you know, you have to be ready for a call at 3 AM. You have to be ready for anything that happens. Why I made the leap was really because I had made profits. I was happy to where I was in my life and I was looking around and I was noticing that, you know, really the censorship is getting out of control. And I'm not somebody who can just sit margaritas on the beach. Like I get bored and I want to, I want to do something. And that something has to be passionate. It has to be something I believe in. So if I was going to co-found anything, it would have to be something that I believed in. I believe in free speech as much as you could possibly believe in it. I think that having our rights taken away by big monopolies is just, you know, it's just, it's disgusting. Um, the state of the internet right now is just total war and division and no one can get facts out. So I felt almost a responsibility to open up something to do my part. And I felt opening up a video platform that was censorship resistant could, you know, maybe help the world. So that's, that's where I'm at now, really trying to use my resources and what I've learned to try to give it back. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the right reason to, to go into business and to, and to begin with it. Cause like you said, it is a nightmare. Uh, it's insanely hard. Uh, I'm a co-founder of, of open orchard and it's, it's the hardest, most challenging work I've ever done, but it's also very fulfilling. Um, and one of the things you hear from, um, you know, over and over again, but I don't think can be overstated is that you really shouldn't be founding a startup. If you're not incredibly passionate about the problem that you're solving. Um, yep. so why don't you, um, could you tell us a little bit more about three speak and you know, what it is, the problems you're trying to solve? 
Yeah. So three speak, you can consider it a, a web three website, right? You log in with a hive account. It's an account that you own the keys to. We can't ban your account. We can't wipe you off the face of the internet. So that's the first step to own your account. We believe that decentralization is a, is a goalpost. It's an endpoint. It's not necessarily a destination. It's something you want to use to achieve censorship resistance, right? Cause decentralization is like a desert. It wouldn't be, you know, you can have an oasis in that desert, so to speak. So you don't want to just have a product that's not usable. You know, you don't want to have a product that people log in and they're like, well, this is 10 times worse than YouTube. I'm not going to use this. So we really thought, how are we going to offer a censorship resistant um, platform that also gives the Web2 performance? So the idea is to use as much from the centralization end and as much as the decentralization end and try to meet in the middle to where you have a great user experience, but also you're protected and your content's protected. And that comes with, um, you know, we have the metadata, the account, all of that's decentralized. The next big goal and what we're building out is a backend, a decentralized backend. So if 3Speak ever goes down, you could pop up a 4Speak, all of the videos, all the metadata, most importantly, all your followers and the communities you built are right there for you, pops right back up. So we want to achieve performance of Web2, but the censorship resistance of a whack-a-mole, right? You hit three-speak, a four-speak comes up. You hit that, that's the goal we want to achieve. So that's the approach we want to take. Uh, that's great. And that, uh, and not to pitch my own thing here, but that's helping applications like yours achieve that specific goal is really the intent behind our open seed product mm-hmm. where it's a distributed network of servers where you can store your app store social information and make it available to the users and uh, give up total control over it and put control into the hands of the users and other developers. If a developer wants to fire up their own, you know, open seed instance and provide, you know, similar services to that same user base um, <clears throat> on top of that same stored data, um, they can. Hmm. I want to edit that. Out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I was getting at there. Um, but Long story short, doing all that stuff is pretty hard. Um, we hope to make it a lot easier with OpenSeed. Um, that, that's really the, the purpose that product is, is trying to solve. So uh, we should maybe come back to that some other time or after the end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I think it's... It's fair to say that like most businesses, you probably you leverage open source software for some things, but you, you also have private software. I don't think there's any business. I think people underestimate how many private businesses use open source software, and they probably do a similar thing for open source projects. Um, oh, God, this fucking headache. Um, anyway, okay. This is another fucking cut. Shit. Um, so like most businesses, you, I assume you leverage open source source software for some things, but you also have private software. How do you guys think about what software to open source and what to keep private? What are the benefits and downsides of each path? 
So being a non-developer, the first thing I say is, hey, open source everything. And then the developers come back to me and say, well, this can create this attack surface. It's better to have this private, but this open source. So what it comes down to is value and um, trustability. We want to make open source the things that you don't have to trust us for. We want to hide the things that make sense to avoid attack vectors. And we want to have open source where others can actually contribute. It's like if we open source this encoding software, can somebody make it better? If it's already, you know, the best of the best, which doesn't happen in software, but just saying we, we're really targeting things that can people can actually contribute to. So you want to have it to be open source to be you can trust, but you can also improve it. And, you know, from a business point, point of view, we really love it because you get all these free contributions from people who like free speech, who, you know, are pro-Hive, pro-Blockchain, pro-Web3, and you got this movement of passionate people. So that's the power of open source, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I couldn't have put it better myself. That's, <clears throat> it's, it's a more nuanced question than a lot of people make out. And uh, I think you really perfectly summed up the specific nuances that you should be considering when you're building your application. You shouldn't be thinking, oh, everything is going to wind up open source. It's mm-hmm. open sourcing the right things. And the primary concerns are what you mentioned, um, attacks. You can make your software less safe. You don't want to do that. Um, You want to take advantage of the open source community and the community that can be generated through the use of open source software. So it's a difficult balancing act. And as an entrepreneur, I would say that it doesn't matter really whether you view yourself as a an open source entrepreneur, if you're a tech entrepreneur, if you're building something that has a software component, you really have to do that analysis that Dan just highlighted. Being a social media application built on top of the Hive blockchain certainly makes open source software a foundational component of your business. Do you find that this significantly impacts how you approach your business? What unique... What unique challenges does this pose and how have you overcome those challenges? I think we've been able to meet it and make a positive out of it. I feel that having, so being a business on a blockchain, it's almost like you're a part of a team um, because you have consensus, you have updates, you might have an update that you want in that others might not want in. So you have to lobby for it because we're not dealing with something that's ours. We could be like, okay, this is the software. We're going to do this and no one can stop us. So if you want to leverage the immutability, the network effect of a public blockchain with a large community, you sort of have to play ball. But the great thing with Hive is we're all sort of on the same page and we all want to see each other do better. So it's like a team that we all get paid if we win and we all fail together if we lose. So everyone has a very powerful incentive to see three speak do well or see a hive dot blog do well or a peak be. Um, so we find ourselves, you know, I find myself up helping other front ends. Other front ends are reaching out to us just because I'll say, Hey, you know, I'm using your site. I noticed this, Hey, maybe we can collab here. So it's definitely a different experience than a legacy founder would expect, you know, with the web two site, you own everything with this. It's more of jumping into a giant network and finding your, carving out your niche, carving out your value proposition, open sourcing what you believe should be open sourced, and then sort of just like a, you fit in like a puzzle, right? Because now 
three speak videos show up on PD and then, you know, all of these things sort of mesh together and it creates this new internet the way I look at it. Yeah. You have to be a little more creative and thoughtful about how you integrate yourself into the existing ecosystem. But if you do that, you get a ton of rewards because you get to tap into this, this vibrant community pre-existing user base and pre-existing developer base who's looking for work. And um, you made a a good point that I think is too often forgotten, even by people who are deep in the blockchain space, which is that at the end of the day, security doesn't really come. Oh, and this is, I'm going to rob you blind. Uh, Security doesn't really come from, um, the consensus algorithm, it comes from incentives. We trust a system because the incentives are aligned. And the consensus algorithm plays a part in that. Um, But at the end of the day, we're trusting that, you know, the Hive developers are incentivized to make their platform good for developers like you. And you can trust Incentives. The thing I'm going to rob you blind on is the idea of what do you call it? Layer zero. Layer um, zero. Why don't Why don't I hand it off to you? Explain layer zero. I love this concept. So the great thing about a layer zero, which stands for community, I believe Andreas coined that. So I did take that from Andreas. So. Fair enough. <laughs> um, what I really like about this is the fact that, especially if you take a delegated proof of stake it makes it very, very difficult to attack because what you're fighting for is open source software. You're fighting for air. It's not even (laughs) there. So you have somebody who wants to attack a token and take it over and like, well, okay, we will just move over here. And while you're pumping the old token, we get to sell that. And we have this token, which is holds all the value of the previous one. So a money attack doesn't work with delegated proof of stake. It only enriches the token holders and punishes the attacker, right? The attacker in this case didn't get the airdrop. That is now worth two to three times what he originally got. It also draws in the network, right? People don't like bullies. It doesn't matter who you are. People joined Hive because they dislike Justin's son. They dislike the bully. You become friends of neutral parties because your enemy is common. So when you attack something that's decentralized, doing its own thing, and you try to you know, centralize it, it looks bad. You get tomatoes thrown at you, the community leaves, and then you're left holding the old bags. And if you don't want to look absolutely terrible, you got to keep those bags pumped. Because if steam falls to zero and Hive goes to the moon, it just ruins the, the attacker's reputation even more. Who's going to do business with this guy in the future? So uh, other blockchains, is the same thing. We saw it with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. However, with delegated proof of stake or any voting governance on chain, you get what you call a vote war because everyone can, in a tangible way, fight in the battle. With proof of work, with the Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, small miners, are on, like no one really felt like they can go and throw a haymaker at somebody. But with this, with this voting war, you, know, you can actually make a difference. Your words on Twitter make a difference. You as a layer zero is what made the attack impossible to be um, fruitful. So I, you know, layer zero, you know, it's all open source code. None of it matters if your layer zero sucks. If your layer zero wants nothing but money and they want to sell out, you're going to have a centralized chain. 
But if you actually believe in Web3 and you get enough of these crazy people that believe mm-hmm. in decentralization, you're not going to buy them out. And in doing so, you're going to hurt your pockets and enrich those people. So, Yeah, you actually just motivate them to double down and invest in the technology that they believe in. And I would even go as far as saying that the real test of layer zero is how it behaves in circumstances like this and whether it is willing to put extra skin in the game. Um, And, you know, had Hive not come into existence, had that community not been willing, because what what started to happen was people started investing uh, first in Steam because they wanted to get voting power uh, and then moving their capital over to Hive. And so, you know, representing very clearly their beliefs through skin in the game and what that reveals about Tron and now Steam and the people behind that is that there really wasn't a community there as defined by a group of people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is. And so you, you really only see, you know, when things are stable Anybody can grow when things are easy. Anybody can act like they have a community when it doesn't cost any, anything to use it. Um, it. It's when you're forced to kind of mobilize, invest in what you believe in briefly, right? Because now it's like, okay, once the war is over, now again, you can, you know, take your money back, rest easy. Uh, it's a really interesting phenomenon. Okay, so the last question I want to ask you is... Um, you know, you're, you guys have not that, not that many businesses, uh, have been built on blockchains that certainly not businesses that have actual users that are providing kind of a good user experience, have a value proposition that isn't based on speculation or hype or fake numbers. Uh, and, and even fewer have been around as long as three speak has now it's hard to believe, but it's actually, kind of one of the older apps now. So what are the most valuable lessons that you've learned over the year or two uh, that you guys have been in operation? Yeah, just so much that goes into it. Um, we launched early, early alpha because that was when YouTube was really going on a censorship spree. So we weren't really ready to launch. We actually had a fee that we had to charge people because if a million people signed up, we'd break the bank because we weren't scaled at that point. So we were really premature, but we threw it out there and we got our name and I'm glad that we did. Um, I wouldn't have changed it, but you start to learn like things that you do. Like people still think we have a $2 fee. Um, It was a $4 fee a month. It's like, is three speak free yet? And it's like, that was like a month in early alpha at the very beginning. So you learn that things stick with you. Communication is vital. Um, but really just the growing pains, like be careful what you wish for because you start to grow and then it's like, well, we need to upgrade servers. We need to do this. We need to do that. Oh no, the, you know, the pressure pipe here's about the bus. There's always something that we have to, um, and that's going to happen to you. It really feels good at getting on the other end of that. I feel like we're really starting to scale. We can really stride We're we're good for a large, you know, if we get a 10 X in growth, we'll be able to handle it. But until you're there, until you get into the weeds, you can pre-plan it all you want, blueprint, blueprint it all you want. But until you get out there and see what's actually being thrown at you, there's no way to prepare for it. So just be prepared to fail over and over again. Be prepared to eat a lot of dirt and, and also be prepared to learn from each one of those licks you take. And then, you know, 
it feels like a year. It feels like 10 years for me. It feels, you know, this thing has really every day feels like a colossal giant progress being made. And that's what I really like with this because everything's developing so fast. It's like, Oh wow, we got a new feature. That's not even out yet. Like the world doesn't even know about this feature because it's a new web three blockchain feature. And I'm like, wake up really excited about that. It's like, man, we're on the cutting edge of this thing. And, um, just to watch it mature has been a great experience. So, yeah, it's, um, I think that's exactly the right mindset. Um, people, you have to be prepared to, you have to get something in, into people's hands fast. Expect it to fail in a lot of ways and be prepared to learn from that failure. And that is harder than it sounds. And you really have to do it. And the alternative seems to be try to perfect something, release it, disappoint, and be demoralized and have your team be demoralized. I only ever see those two approaches. Like there's no, it's binary, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what you were getting at, right? Yeah, you got to love it at the end of the day, because I wouldn't be doing I would be doing this anyway. So if you do it anyway, then you don't have to worry about what's going to happen because it's like playing a video game. It's a hard level. Are you going to stop playing it because it's a hard level? No, you want to beat it. And that's how I feel with doing something you're actually passionate about. It's like, well, I would do this anyway. And if it's hard, more the better. Right. Because if it was easy, it'd be boring. So I really love the challenge. And that's where the growth is. That's where that's where you learn everything. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think part of the thing about a challenge, you know, people talk about passion. I feel like it can be really amorphous for people and difficult. Like some people are like, well, I'm not passionate about anything. That doesn't, that doesn't resonate. And I think the key is that you have to be doing something that nobody else is doing. Passion is when you are attacking a problem that isn't deeply annoying to you uh, and you believe that nobody else is solving it the way that it needs to be solved and that annoyance and that fact that nobody else is solving it is what drives the passion and a consequence of that is that you are venturing into the unknown you are solving problems that are not currently solved and so you will fail you will not nail it um, but people will not be using your application because you never make a mistake. They're using it because you're trying to solve the problem. Exactly, exactly. And it's the effort that, that counts, right? Exactly. It's like a running back. You're going to take a couple of hits. As long as you don't go down on the first hit, you're good. Keep getting up. Keep pushing. Um, that's what people appreciate. And that's what people respect. People don't, are tired of the Facebooks. They want to see a young, scrappy team trying to fix something that actually cares. That's what people want. That's what I want. That's what most people resonate with. So just hang in there. You know, if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's very important to you, it's very important to somebody else, and somebody out there is going to be thankful that you're actually putting in the time to solve something that no one else is doing. Yeah, and just be honest about 
how difficult the task is. You know, don't try to pretend like you are Mark Zuckerberg already, that you have all of the answers, right? I feel like that's a common mistake that I see in the space. People aren't humble. Like, just be honest about how difficult the problem is and that you that you fell down and that you're getting back up. It's, it's hard to be cool and learn at the yeah. same time. It's hard to be cool and learn at the same time. You're going to have to look dumb and you're going to have to accept it. You have to raise your hand and ask questions that you might be afraid to ask. Um, so don't try to be cool. You know, try to be good. Very well said. I find it surprising. And I'm just sorry. I keep trying to get the last word in. But what I find surprising is how many people get knocked down once and don't get back up. And the easy, if you're looking for the easy part of this process, which is very hard to find, the easy part is just get up. Just fucking get up again and again. It's really not that hard. If you can be self-aware, if you can be humble and vulnerable, just stand back up, say, yeah, we fucked up. We're going to do better next time. You're going to outlast 90% of your competitors just by doing that. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it's definitely fair. It's, it's good to sort of act like you're alone in this thing in terms of tomatoes being thrown at you. Act like you're working on your own puzzle alone. There's going to be mistakes. It's fine because if you're afraid to make a mistake, that means you're never going to grow. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people just they're, they're afraid of what other people think or they're afraid to put themselves out there. Um, you know, that's, that's why the competition is not as fierce as one people think. The hardest part is just staying consistent, beating yourself. A lot of people beat themselves. They'd be surprised at how high their head can poke apart the clouds if they actually stay consistent and stay there. And they realize, wow, I'm around people I once, well, I still respect that I thought were legends. And now I'm among them. And it doesn't feel the same. You still feel like the same person. But that's only through trial and tribulation and sticking the course. Very well said. All right. Is there anything else you want to say to anybody watching this? Head on over to threespeak.online, presumably. Yeah. Um, you know, check out Hive, check out Coinos, check out um, OpenSeed, all of these great projects. Um, threespeak.online, if you're a content creator or you want to help support content creators, you can go there. You can earn crypto. You can post videos. Don't have to worry about being censored. You can actually cuss, you can talk about whatever you want. And, um, you know, you can build a, a mutable community there that no one can take down. So, you know, head on over to 3speak.online and um, I'll see you there. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. All right, that's it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you did, be sure to subscribe on our YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. Once again, I'm Andrew Arkey, the CEO of Open Orchard. If you'd like to learn more about our organization and the product we're building, head on over to openorchard.io. Thanks for watching or listening.